Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Today, I'm talking with Kate Lambert as she shares her personal story of how her relationship transformed from, as she describes, rock bottom to now deep intimacy. And she shares a number of things that have helped her and her partner along the way and still do to this day. So there's something in this episode, if you're interested in different ways of relating, if you wonder what healthy relating looks like, if you're curious to deepen your connection with a partner or you're looking to revitalize a connection, there is treasures here for all of you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. And today I'm joined by my colleague, my friend, and all around amazing full power badass woman, Kate Lambert. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Lovely to have you here today. Lovely to be here, Sarah. (laughs) So I'm going to say a little bit about Kate and who she is. So Kate is a love, sex and relationship coach trained with the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality. And Kate's also an Imago couples facilitator. So she helps people in relationships to regain love, intimacy and connection. And she is a female empowerer and women's sexual liberation expert working to sexually empower women everywhere, helping them to reconnect to their sexuality pleasure, reclaim their inner power source and also known as their sexual energy. Kate also is the founder of the Sister Circle Inner Temple. She hosts regular circles, sexual empowerment courses and workshops for women and works one to one with women and couples around their sexuality and relationships. Mm. wow that's me I sound wonderful don't I (laughs) that's because you are (laughs) so really gorgeous to have you today so I'd love to start with the question that I'm always interested in is tell me how you got into this work oh my goodness okay so um how did I get into this so you know when you think like your life has been one kind of crazy jigsaw like stepping from one thing to another and um and you kind of don't know until you're in the present how those pieces quite fit together I feel like mine's a little like that so my background's in teaching um and I feel like that was a fundamental stepping stone for me into the work I do now um but I was always a really passionate teacher and 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 wanting to guide others um and didn't really feel like I fit within that system, but knew that that was my role here. Um, so it was after a medicine journey, actually, when my question was, um, how am I here to serve? Like I knew that I had some kind of um, service here in the world. I didn't feel complete. I didn't feel like I was quite there on my path. 
Um, and it was after that journey that um, starting women's circles came up for me. So I began women's circles um, my first drum was gifted to me. Um, and and after doing women's circles for years and years and guiding women in that way um, and a very reciprocal journey really it was all about everything that I was learning in my own personal development journey and then being able to guide and teach and help other women with exactly the things that I was learning so very kind of simultaneously teaching and learning um, and then I decided I wanted to niche in women's work and sexuality was always um, a massive subject for me, so much of my own uh, learning and healing was in that journey and so it felt a very natural kind of progression into the world of women's sexuality and then relationships. Wonderful, wonderful and you still do amazing work with women and, and helping women to become leaders and set up their own sister circles and it's just really lovely to see that work continuing to blossom as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that felt really, you know, perfect for while I was kind of starting to niche out into doing sexuality work. It almost felt like, well, who's doing all the sister circles? Obviously, there's lots of beautiful women doing that, but it felt like my gift to the world to offer kind of like my sister circles to other women. So it's like, you know, we can just all take that information and use it. And then, you know, my kind of dream around that is that there'll be little lights on every corner of, of sister circles happening everywhere sharing this work and you know this ability to be in community with each other yeah beautiful and so today we're really going to hone in on the relationship aspect of your work because yes. it's just such an important topic in mm. terms of relationships there's so much we can cover today so I really want to hear about first of all your relationship with your partner yes. because it hasn't always been easy and I'd love you to share some of that with the listeners today and just tell me a bit about your journey yes okay so yeah it absolutely hasn't been easy um my journey with Luke has been um I mean, one of the hardest experiences I've ever had, you know, I think that I felt that I'd done a lot of personal development work. I felt like I knew myself really well. I felt like this kind of empowered, independent, sorted woman and then got into a relationship and it was just like everything came to the surface. My insecurities, trust, inability to communicate. Um, you know, anger, communication, blockages, disconnection, it all began to happen after the honeymoon period ended in Man and Luke's relationship. And we ended up in a really, um, in a really painful pattern for a really long time. Um, and if, you know, if I could go into detail about how that was, but, um, you know, take my word for it. It was, it was, it felt like suffering, you know? Mm. Um, but it also felt that we were stuck in repeating of old childhood wounding and patterns and we were just going round and round and round in that and you know who knows why we didn't well I, I know now why we didn't split up you know we had work to do I really fundamentally believe that the universe kept kind of plopping us back down in front of each other and was like this this ain't over till it's over you know you have got work to do here and and, and that's pretty much what we what we did we we set out to heal and and that's the journey that's taken me to where I am now mm. um, and it's not been an easy one. And were you aware that you were in a pattern of childhood wounding or just aware that you were in a very stuck pattern and could you share just a brief overview of like what that pattern looked like? Yes, no, I wasn't aware at all for a long time um, that I was in uh, a, a 
any kind of childhood pattern. I hadn't really related it to my childhood at the time because, you know, it didn't seem that obvious. Mm. Um, and so for Luke and I, um, you know, even though I'm kind of wary about labeling us, we would be closely matched to the anxious avoidant dynamic. So when Luke felt injured and, and in pain, he would withdraw, um, you know, either physically or emotionally. And when I was in pain, I would make like kind of lots of noise, like um, in, in attempts to keep, make him stay, you know, mine was all kind of like shaming, blaming, criticizing that kind of responses because I could almost see him leaving and almost like the anxious um, attachment styles that I'll do anything to, to make you stay. and you know, and, and that can involve lots of noise. Um, and yeah, and we were just constantly kind of disconnecting from one another in that way. And that pattern played out for a really, really long time. Wow. And just for just briefly, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the anxious avoidant attachment. So what's it? Many people listening to this, I'm sure won't have heard of attachment theory. So sure. can you give a little summary of that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and like I said at the beginning, my work doesn't really rest on those so much. You know, I do get couples that come to me and they say, well, I think I'm this. And what do you think? And I say, well, really, that isn't my um um, I don't feel that's really important. I feel that every couple can heal and I wouldn't want that kind of like diagnosis to make people feel like they are something or they're labeled something. Um, it can be helpful to understand. And so, yeah, absolutely give a little um, kind of summary of an anxious um, and an avoidance. So both of them are childhood wounded. Um, and in the formative years of childhood, they may not have got, gotten the love that they needed or in the right way as an infant. Um, and that doesn't mean that you didn't come from a home where there was love. It just might not have been available consistently or just not in the way that you, you, you most needed it as a little one. And what happens um, after those times is that um, there's an adaptive strategy that happens. So the adaptive strategy might be to make lots of noise like a tantrum or a, or a crying toddler might do to, to get the, um, the attention of a parent, or it might be to withdraw, to move away. Um, and, you know, there's lots of kind of um, studies that were done on infants and when they had their mom's attunement, so like eye contact and expression, the child would do one of two things. If their mom looked away or disconnected from the child, they would either cry, so, and that would become the anxious style of connecting, or the child would turn away and, and withdraw from the mom in order to kind of protect itself. And so they're, they're the two kind of like, they call them maladaptive styles. Mm -hmm. But I guess a lot of us as adults then just fall into those ways of coping when we feel hurt with our partners. And the reason that that only kind of seems to appear in, well, it doesn't always just appear in our love relationships, but mostly in our love relationships is because they're the relationships that most echo the deepest and closest relationship that we had in our formative years with with our caregivers yeah thank you for that and I agree with you these these things are useful to understand ourselves in the moment but I've seen that where people like this is how I am I'm anxious I'm avoidant and actually yeah. not to take it in as an identity but just as a tool for understanding so thank you for for bringing Absolutely. that to life so you and Luke were going round and round this dynamic for, for yes. a good period of time what was the catalyst for you to get some support with this? Because a lot of couples 
don't get support with these things or they don't know mm. where to turn or don't feel comfortable talking to other people but what happened for you what was the catalyst yeah okay um so well i guess the, the main catalyst was the fact that at some point it just became so painful that we couldn't stay that we didn't have the tools to get back into connection with one another in amargo we call it getting back into the boat mm. you know just whatever happens getting back into the relationship boat um you know at all costs and and Luke and I really never seemed to have that ability because it was too painful to get back in the boat. Um, you know, and so we would fall back into our um, adaptive styles and on one um, kind of day, I guess it just got too much. And that was when we decided that the relationship couldn't work anymore. And it was in that time um, that I was studying and we were studying around um, worth and it was at that point that I really, and, and a lot of inner child's work actually, and I'd done inner child work before, but this was sort of somatic inner child work. And so for those people that don't know somatics, it just means that you're connecting with the body when you're doing that work. Um, and, and, and it was in a lot of that worth, uh, worth work around how much do, am I worthy of a positive and successful relationship? What do I believe about that? When I went right back into my childhood beliefs around relationships, and my first relationship with my um, my dad, you know, the story that my little girl had was that I wasn't worthy of a man staying and I wasn't worthy of, and also relationships didn't stick around, you know, they were gonna end. Um, and so I realized that I was in one dynamic, which was I'm not worthy of a, of a, of a man to stay. Um, and and the, the other one was relationships will end, so make sure that you keep fucking am i allowed to swear yeah <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you keep fucking things up because then it'll be less painful when it does end and that's also another thing that i was doing i was sabotaging mm. because i came from a very dysregulated and very chaotic childhood so you know when things were very calm and healthy in my relationship with luke i thought they were boring so it was a part of my nervous system that didn't feel comfortable with um with with things being normal and so i would shake things up unconsciously of course to create kind of you know like what i thought was like um excitement or drama in the relationship because that was what my nervous system felt more familiar with so they were the key things that i learned in that time away from one another and you know, I started to read about Amargo and Harvel Hendricks, and it was literally like a devouring of knowledge in that time, but it meant that I could because Luke and I were in kind of separation and it felt like a really important time to be like, holy shit, if you want this relationship to work, like you have to learn because you really don't have this model and you also don't have a blueprint for this. Mm -hmm. And as these things started to come to light, I was just like, wow, this is all the stuff I need to know. Luke came back and fortunately for me, he was in a position to take on this information. Um, and we sat down with each other and we were like, if we really, we can't be in the suffering anymore, but it seems that we also can't not be with each other. So we are gonna have to do this work. Um, and, and that's where it began. Mm, wow. And so you went and got support with an Imago therapist. Did you, mm. or did you do the work on your own? Yeah, um, we got support. Um, so for anyone listening, you know, the, I feel like there's two kinds of couples. Um, and I use me as an example because I think it really helps couples to know how they should go about this work. So for Luke and I, we weren't, like I said, able to stay in the boat. We also, neither of us were able to contain. So when there's an argument that happened, I mean, 
it would be a rupture, you know, and he would leave and I would make loads of noise and it was really uncontained. I also didn't realize how dysregulated I was in relationships. So I wasn't able to contain emotionally. So in Imago, we call them like minimizers and maximizers and the minimizer will usually shut down and the maximizer makes all the noise. Well, the maximizer's job really is to start containing and regulating. And so I had that to learn. So for us, it was so important that we were guided because we weren't in a position to do that on our own. We really needed holding. So if you're listening and you have like that kind of perhaps dysregulation in your relationship or you're not able to contain that well or your arguments just feel like combustions, then it may feel better to be held. And that's exactly what was right for us at the time. But if you guys feel like, well, we just disconnect, but it's actually quite calm, or maybe we both withdraw, but there's no kind of, I guess fireworks are combustion and you're both quite calm and contained and regulated, then it might be that you can practice Imago and other techniques on your own. So I hope that's helpful to kind of make that distinction. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And so where, tell us what Imago is. <laughs> oh, okay. So Imago is like the, the brainchild of um, Harville Hendricks. Some people kind of joke jokingly, but I think it's probably um, true that he downloaded it, that he, you know, because it's just a masterpiece in its simplicity and simultaneously its complexity. Like it's a simple dialoguing tool that enables couples to communicate in contained, healthy ways in a way that you truly listen, like perhaps you've never listened before. Um, and I think a lot of us, particularly in the West, have lost that ability to really deeply listen. Um, you know, we kind of very used to now, particularly with our mobile world and, you know, we're given kind of snapshots of information um, and, you know, our, we've learned to kind of like tune into things very, um, I guess, in, in short snappy bursts so that our ability to listen for long amounts of time can kind of like um, shut down. And so I feel that Amargo for me has been like a deepening of being able to listen and learn. And so the the, the whole system of Amargo works in a, di in a dialogical way. So couples framework. And at first it can feel quite formal and um, perhaps a little structured. But then when you become dialogical, it's almost like those lines blur and it becomes quite flowy and, mm. um, and it just means that you're creating a really safe um, structure for communication, um, which means that both partners are truly, truly heard. And it doesn't ever mean that both partners need to agree. So, you know, if a couple's come to me and go, but which one's right? You know, how will we ever get to it? Where's, where's right? You know, and that's, that's actually the beauty of it, that there is no right. And it's each couple's understanding that they are two completely different people with two completely different perspectives on the world and different conditioning, different experiences. So they're going to see and experience reality in two completely different ways. And Imago allows you to literally leave your island walk across the bridge onto the island and the other and be like wow what is it like for you over here and get really curious like what is your island like and accepting that that island is completely different to yours um and that for me has been really revelationary to kind of be able to accept that luke's world will always be completely different to mine um, and that's okay so what's changed in yours and Luke's relationship as a result of this? Oh my goodness, <laughs> just 
everything. I think the main part for Luke and I is safety. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because we were always combusting or always kind of anticipating when the next um, rupture would be, that we were never really safe, like with one another, even though we really were in love, um, we weren't safe. And so I think that safety and perhaps the safety that I've probably always needed um, has entered into our dynamic. So, you know, he, he and I now feel like we, our nervous systems are regulated to one another. So when we're near one another, you know, rather than that kind of like inattention start to happen, it actually, we kind of feel like we're, um, we're attuning to one another in safe and regulated ways, which just feels from, you know, from a situation where we haven't had that before, it just feels really, really beautiful. And that that enters into our intimacy together. Our bodies feel like they can open more. So we're having more beautiful, intimate, more sincere um, sexual experiences that feel more tender and close and opening because our, and I think that's a lot to do with our nervous systems and safety. Mm. And our communication, you know, we, we Amargo, um, all the time. <laughs> Amargo has literally become a way of life for us. Um, you know, we Amargo around issues, um, but mainly we Amargo and use our appreciations every day mm. of how, you know, grateful we are for each other. And that's another part of Amargo. I love appreciation stuff. It's just so beautiful, isn't it? To do that as part of your everyday with everybody around you, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> People you work with, your friends, and just to bring in that just sense of just noticing what's around your environment that people so often shut off from and take, you know, take for granted and to Absolutely. see those afresh every day. Cause when I do that with my partner, I'm like, Oh, I can't believe you just noticed that about me or, you know, mm. and it's just so, so beautiful or we're both surprised what we notice in each other and it just builds a connection and um, a trust yeah. and yeah, safety and love and all these beautiful things. Yeah, it's absolutely magical. And I think sometimes like we, you know, when our partner sends us an appreciation, something they really appreciate about us, I don't think sometimes we realize the impact of something we do that's so important for our partner. Yeah. And that's really amazing. It's like, wow, I, I have a lot of um, power in this relationship to, to, to alter my partner's like life experience. And yeah, and that's amazing. And when we realize that we hold so much power, we recognize our responsibility to be the safest and most loving and, and supportive partners that we can be. And that's it, you, uh, that you said there, your responsibility. And so many times I've seen people I work with around this, it's like they think that if their relationship just doesn't happen effortlessly, there must be something wrong with them. Yes. They may be not meant to be together. And, yes. you know, I love the metaphor of the relationship garden, that you tend to that relationship. And just as you tend to the garden, you pick out the weeds, you plant the flowers and you water it and you love it. And, you know, you see those little videos of couples who are a hundred and it's like, you know, what made your relationship so successful to a hundred? And they're all like, because we looked after our relationship garden. We never Absolutely. go to sleep on an argument. We appreciate each other, all these things. Yes. So, but so many of us don't have a blueprint for that. And that's a yes. word you mentioned before was a blueprint, a model. So what do you feel um, are some of the some of the things that make up a healthy relationship we've talked about some of them already in terms of great communication feeling safe with each other yes. um, what else is really great 
Well, I think the daily appreciations is so, so important. That can be done in like two minutes in the morning. If you've got children, it's beautiful to get the children involved. I think that's really, really important. We've already talked about that, but there's a couple of whys behind it. And, and one of them is because you can't buy into your own bullshit. If you are telling your partner regularly, you know, how much you appreciate them, how wonderful they are at X and Y. And then when we, because there's a lot of stories that we can get into. And you were talking about things before, like expectations and things like that and I know I've fallen into that trap of oh well, my partner doesn't do that and so maybe they're dot 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 or oh maybe we're not as great as they are because they do dot 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 and we can start to create meaning around things and sometimes that can lean towards the negative particularly as we get into those kind of negative cycles in our relationship um you know kind of creating stories and making meaning around our, our relationship and so once we get into that we think oh my boyfriend is a bit mm, or my partner is a bit and mm. um, if we are regularly creating that like neuroplasty of like um practicing on a daily basis what we love that means we can't buy into our own bullshit stories when we don't feel that way so i think that's just so important mm. And that we don't buy into those stories when we get rough and into those kind of rocky patches. And I love that you shared there the stories because Brenny Brown, she talks about the phrase she uses with her husband all the time, which is when she when she wants to check something out, she'll say to him, the story I'm making up about you yes. right now is. And we use that all the time because it takes it out of something that we almost believe to be a fact because we yes. told ourselves that that's what it's like yeah. and convinced ourselves very skillfully that that's the that's how it is. And then it takes it into make believe. And it's like the story I'm making up about this situation is and yes. nine out of 10 times. It's never true. <laughs> exactly. And it creates a lot of suffering when Huge. we align with those stories huge so it's just really great to be aware of them isn't it and just yeah. to notice what you're telling yourself and that's where I imagine the regular dialoguing that you're doing comes in it's a way of flushing out those stories and keeping that space in between you as clear and clean as possible yeah yeah absolutely and it also invites your partner into kind of you know recognizing oh that's why she reacted like that because she created a story around that um yeah and it just kind of like allows you know like oh when you get home from work the story i make up is that you don't care about me and it gives your partner the opportunity to say well actually the truth around that is i'm just really highly stressed and this job's really important to me and but you are too, you know, and it gives that opening of a dialogue without you are this, you are that. Because when we believe in those stories and we tell our partners what they are, that hurts and our partners immediately go into defense. And once they're in defense, I call it um, the shoot and load method. <laughs> and so, you know, you're, no one's listening to each other because you're ducking to avoid any of the kind of like stuff that's coming your way you don't care about me you always do that you're this and and they're ready kind of you know reloading the gun and so all that's happening is two people are just kind of dodging bullets and and ducking down getting ready to fire up their own ammunition and ready to shoot something back um, and and that means that you've got two very disconnected people in, in pain so the story i make up around that definitely loosens the grip around anything that probably is very much a non-truth yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, I bet many people listening. <laughs> I like. I recognise that shoot and load method. <laughs> yeah, and we can all fall into it, you know. Totally. Like, you know, and I want to hold my hands up and say that, you know, even though I'm a relationship coach, 
I'm in a very normal human everyday relationship and we can always get tired and fall out of our, um, you know, healthy ways. You know, you were talking about tend to the relationship garden. I think both of us have referred to it as kind of relationship yoga before in when our relationship yoga isn't, uh, you know, working or we haven't kind of slapped around that then we can fall back into old ways and we can definitely fall into the shoot and load method. But for us now, because we can see it yeah. and we know that we don't want to be there anymore, because particularly for Luke and I, we know how fucking painful it is. We have our way out and we can literally say, we're not a margoing, you know, we're directing this, let's take a minute. And if we get to those points and you asked a question earlier around, you know, what are the other kind of really helpful things? Yeah. Sometimes you can get to the point in the relationship where you're not available to a Margot because you're flooded or you're not available because you're really stressed out um, and things will come out wrong. You're not really able to be present. And so there are three beautiful words. Are you available? Mm -hmm. Because that really gives us a chance to make sure that we are speaking to our partners at times where they really are available. And as partners, you know, we are running a kingdom. We're often running families, homes, sometimes running businesses together. And if the two people at the top, they need to communicate all the time about that kingdom. Yeah, so just checking, are you available? Um, and that means that we can check in with ourselves. Am I available? Am I able to be really present here with my partner? And when we're not, there's no point doing the Imago because we're not in our frontal cortex. So we're not in that part of the brain that can come up with logical solutions that can, um, you know, think really um, reasonably about things because when we're not in our frontal cortex, we're in the part of our brain that just either wants to run away or fight because that's our survival mechanism. And when we're in that brain, we're literally flooded with chemicals to help us to do that job, which is to run away or to fight. And so we're just not available. And that can also lead to partner disconnection. Like I tried to speak to him and he's, you know, he just seems to be offline. And well, he probably is, you know, I tried to speak to her and she just, you know, gets at, picks at everything I'm saying. She's probably, you know, in massive defense mode. And so a beautiful practice that Luke and I do when we get like that and we can't communicate, but we want to get back into connection is to sit back to back and just connect our hearts from the back. So we don't even need to look at each other, which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and just regulate our breathing. So just come into regulation and just breathing in, filling our hearts and just sending some love to each other that way. Just so a bit of energy and a bit of breathing and a bit of nervous system regulation. It's mm. just magic that's so beautiful and so simple you know this is the sort of thing that can take a handful of minutes and you're back in the boat together yes. and I just really want to emphasize what you said that are you available because I feel that that's such a tripping point for so many people when they have difficult conversations is they just are so ready to speak or the other person's just whatever's happening in their lives and just that simple thing of saying, are you available? And, and, and with parenting, with all sorts of things, it's yeah. like, it might be not now, but give me 10 seconds, give me 10 minutes. Yes. And just that can transform the whole day, the whole yes. conversation. That yes. is that simple. And, and my rule that. is because often, you know, in man and Luke's dynamic, um, it would usually be, and this can also fall in the um, anxious avoidant um, characteristics that the, the, the um, anxious is usually more likely to do the work 
and the anxious is more likely to move towards okay. and the avoidant because the avoidance yeah. is more likely to move away so what you can end up in that dynamic is are you available and they go no are you available no are you available <laughs> no and so uh, the rule with that that can be really helpful for those kind of dynamics is that the person that says no is then the person that returns okay um, and make sure that it's not just one person trying to have that connection, that communication with their partner. And the other can get, that's quite a powerful place to be, to be like, no, I'm still not available. No, you know, and kind of go into that kind of, yeah, power shift. I've been there as well. So I know yeah. that's really important that both partners do that work. And wonderful. So what else would you say are practices, just simple practices that you and Luke have in your relationship or that you use regularly with the couples that you work with that are, are really powerful and also easy to sort of bring in and implement? Yes. Um, OK, so another really lovely one. And I think this is something that we should all really be learning about, um, you know, and, and I mentioned the word somatics earlier and somatics coming into the body. I feel like for so many of us, this is so important. Um, and it seems that like somatic work and somatic therapy is something that's only seems to be available to a very small few who are like, you know, fortunate to understand that, but actually it's really, really simple. And it's coming out of the head often where there's a lot of suffering, a lot of thinking, a lot of drama and coming out of that drama and out of that thinking and into the body. Yep. Because the body is what is usually holding the wounding, but it's also that bodily awareness we can get into regulation quicker. So for me, what I would, before I became somatically um, tuned in or aware, I would just feel ambiguous um, anxiety or anger or um, upset when my relationship ruptured and that would then link to okay i feel unpleasant right now and so therefore it must be x y and z and then i would kind of come back into my head so the difference when i teach my clients and couples around somatic work is dropping out of the thought processes and the meaning and all of the things that are going on and into the body what are you experiencing in your body right now describe that to me and so they can say well you know I have a, a fast beating heart. I'm feeling like a really closed in my throat. I'm feeling nausea in my tummy. And that ability to tune into what is going on for me right now in my body and in this moment um, is a way of being able to regulate really fast because once you are conscious of what's going on in your body and you can sit with those feelings, it means that you can, um, get through them a lot faster. It just seems to happen like, you know, just coming into the body and tuning into those states starts to kind of allow them to dissipate much more quickly. So how would that look for a couple if they were to experiment with that? Yeah, so I would say if they are available to do this and they could either, if they can't, they can go away and do it on their own. But if they can, lying down on the bed side by side, um, and literally just take it in turns, starting from the tips of their toes, saying something that they are experiencing on a sensation level and where they're experiencing it. So for example, partner A, I'm feeling uh, tingling in my left toe. Partner B, and then there's a pause to both take a breath together. I'm feeling real tension in my calves. 
back to partner A and so on as they move their way up the body. By the time they get to the top, they probably <laughs> don't give a shit about what they were arguing about. <laughs> and if they do, then they can get to it in a much more regulated way. Yeah, it's such a beautiful practice that. And like you say, it may be that they're not available to do that together. and They need to go and do that on their own and have some time apart as well. Yes. There's just many different ways that you can do that. And I think we're in a time, aren't we, where the somatic work and the language is coming more and more out because, you know, it's more and more used in coaching, therapy, in all sorts of disciplines, which is just yeah. so wonderful because we've just been cut off from head down for yeah. far too long and this is where all the magic is so. it is where all the magic is and it's also you know like where we're holding all of our pain yeah. and it's also where we can learn to tend to ourselves is in much more compassionate ways you know and i just feel like you could teach a four-year-old somatic work like how beautiful to invite children to tune into how they feel in their bodies what are they experiencing in their bodies it would mean that like you said we wouldn't end up in such a kind of heady cut off society um, but but one of my favorite things, and like you said, you're not always available to do the work together. You know, sometimes if something's happened for me and I and I do get triggered, you know, I've still got kind of like childhood trauma and, and things that trigger me. Um, and also the are you available thing used to be really triggering for me because I used to always want to get things sorted like that. Right. Um, and actually what I learned over time is that's actually a trauma response you know because you're so not able to stay in the unpleasantness of disconnection perhaps because of what you experienced as a child in terms of disconnection and what that meant that can feel really traumatic and so you want to get back into connection quickly but that sometimes needs time and also your partner's probably not ready and they need to do their process work but i would almost override luke's um ability to have that time because i found it so uncomfortable yeah so what I now learned to do is to contain and to regulate. And one of those things is I might be going to the bathroom, shut the door, tune into my body. What am I experiencing and where am I experiencing it? And I might be like, okay, uh, my stomach feels really painful. It feels like there's like holes in my stomach. Like it can be really great to describe it just tangibly, like what it feels like. And then I'll just put my hands there and breathe in and just stroke those parts and go, you're okay everything's okay, everything's fine, and regulate myself as though a mother would do for, to a small child because of those moments, that probably really is my small child that is um, in need at that moment to be yeah. reassured and, and regulated. Beautiful, that's just lovely. And anything else that you'd love to share of any goal practices that you, you do regularly or that you visit every so often? Mm. Um, eye gazing, right? Yeah. Eye gazing. I mean, so a lot of my couples that come to um, sessions, some of them are just totally down for eye gazing. They love it. Others <laughs> fall into like, no, this feels far too uncomfortable. And what I do is I invite them to stay with whatever is there full permission like laughing or you know any of those things that's just energy like being released from the body and you know we often don't connect with our partners in these deep and sincere ways and that can feel really uncomfortable it can also bring up a lot of emotion that some of us aren't ready to feel um, and so what I say is just try it, build up. If kind of like five minutes feels like too much, do it for 30 seconds, but breathing all the way through it and allowing whatever is there to be there. 
So I remember the first time that I eye gazed with Luke and I was looking at him and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not even sure I, I fancy Luke. Oh my goodness, like, I think I'm with the wrong person. Oh my God, what are all these strange feelings coming up? <laughs> and now what I've realized is how transient our silly little minds are in these moments and what we can tell ourselves. And so now I just watch and sometimes Luke and I will do it and I'll feel nothing. Sometimes we will do it and I will feel the deepest and most profound spiritual connection with him, you know? So now I don't listen to any thoughts that come up in those moments. And so that's what I invite couples to do. Just, just, just notice it, just see what's coming up for you in this moment. What are you feeling? Um, and I used to remember like Luke, Luke used to kind of like, we, when we used to do it for a bit longer, he used to just like start kind of like looking like he was getting really tired and falling asleep. And I'd get really pissed off and I wouldn't say anything, but I'd show it with my eyes. And so he'd be like, and he would react to me being pissed off and this was all going on through eye contact and no words. And actually what was happening there is that was my trigger. It was my trigger that Luke was avoidant or Luke didn't care or Luke, you know, and I was even creating that meaning through his eyes getting a little bit uh, lazy in the eye gazing. So this, what I'm trying to say through that little anecdote is lots of stories and things can come out of those exercises and allowing them all to be there and just accepting all of it can be really transformative for relationships, but it can also be a really beautiful practice to get you into mm. connection. And I also love the practice you mentioned before of just actually sitting back to back together. So if even the eye gazing feels too uncomfortable or too odd yes. or anything like that, just that act of sitting back together um, yeah. is so powerful. I mean, we do that quite, you know, quite a bit as well, because it's just instantly just takes you out of the day into the present moment, into yeah. being together, just feeling each other, just so, so, so simple. And mm. it's sometimes these simple ones are just the best, aren't they? They are. It doesn't All have the to be complex. practices are the best ones. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and there's, there's another one that's slightly different. I, I recognize that I've shared quite a lot of kind of um, physical practices, but one thing that I, always say to couples in fact there's two things here that i'd like to share if that's okay mm. the first one is um creating a relationship um like manifesto yeah is so important i kind of think like no business no venture n nothing would ever begin without like an ethos like a value system like why are we even doing this you know like to get both partners in to a mutually shared agreed relationship vision means that they always know when they're in accordance with that and then if they're in out of alignment with that this is like well look we both agreed on this like this is what we both care about and value why is it that we're not in alignment with this and what do we need to do to get back there yeah so for me i think that's even more important than a marriage certificate like to have a shared relationship vision and and i often create that with my couples in sessions yeah. and sometimes they start it with me and then go away and often we you know they like to do it together because a lot of things can come up through that you know a lot of difference in meanings and nuances in words and what do, what do you mean by that and we have sex every every day or and once <laughs> you know and it can be a very like you know what is we have regular intimacy mean can mean yeah. one completely different thing to one person so it's getting that shared vision yeah. and that is so important 
Yeah, I totally agree. And also that that that's checked in on every so often. Like, you know, I know some couples that that might be part of their new year is just checking in on how we've we been this year and what do we want to create together next year and where are we out of alignment and all these different things. And it is it's like a map, isn't it, that you can yeah. guide guide each other and and to include your sex life in that because you know mm. people often have such clear visions about their health or their businesses or where they're living or whatever but kids if they have them but when it comes to their relationship there's nada yeah <laughs> and because it goes back to that thing that you were saying about we just think they're supposed to work exactly because disney movies to, and you know relationships on tv taught us that really didn't they that they're just supposed to work because love is supposed to be this mystical incredible thing that just floats us all away and, you know <laughs> and it doesn't totally and what's the second one? Oh, what was the second one okay yeah so <clears throat> relationship ritual i think mm. is really important um and you know a lot of the people that i work with you know come to me via the women's work that i've done previously so you get a lot of kind of spiritually minded women but actually what i found is is the men um particularly who have you know don't want to do any ritual or you know this is all kind of you know they're a little bit skeptical they love the ritual things that i subscribe and this can be as simple as just what are you saying goodbye to what do you no longer want in your relationship what commitments do you two make to one another for the future of your relationship i love doing this on a, on a new year's eve with luke i love doing this like you know on different kind of like changes in 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 the in the seasons and just like checking in like i, I no longer want to you know <clears throat> um raise my voice when i'm angry you know i yeah. no, no longer want to i want to leave behind um any trust issues that i've had with you i want to leave behind i want to call in and so you can call in things you can leave things behind some couples just want to do this sitting on the couch with a cup of tea you know other couples yeah. might want to write things down and burn them make it into a proper kind of ceremony whatever but i think the 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 ritualistic side of relationship is so important and something that we have lost really in how do we mark transitions with you know in relationship we're maturing together we're growing up together we're healing together and i think often these stages in our relationship fail to get marked that hang on a minute we've we've changed yeah. you know we've changed what we need we should mark this this is a new transition for us yeah and just like there's a lack of rites of passage for children moving into adulthood and on all the phases of life and I think I've had a few people get a bit freaked out by the word ritual <laughs> and I think just rituals just it can be very like you say ceremonial but ritual to me is just in essence stepping out of the everyday busyness of life and just creating this space to to do whatever but it could be as simple as like you say as where are we what do we want to let go of and what do we want to do going forward and yeah. it can be so so simple but it's those marking of those those passing of time and those changes and, and all of those things it is such a beautiful thing to bring into not yeah. just relationships but to life so thank you what a beautiful thing to end on mm. yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your um wisdom and also being so open about your life experience and your um, journey with this because um, you know I love that your Kate is somebody who so shares all of this on social media and 
I really see the permission that it gives to the women um, that you engage with. And, mm. you know, because you share not just your joys, but you share the challenges, you share everything. Because, you know, people often imagine when we're doing this work, we must be amazing at all this stuff. But most of us have got into it because of exactly <laughs> the opposite reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the simultaneous kind of teacher learning journey, isn't it? Like, you know, I'm learning this and then I'm sharing it with you. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the gift, isn't it? In you know, we'll, both you and I have a gift in being able to like share that knowledge in 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 ways that people understand and and warm to. But also, we've got I've gone through those processes as well to be able to 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 share that with any kind of meaning and compassion and understanding. Totally, totally. So I'd love to finish as we're on the Sexy Life podcast mm. to ask a couple of final questions. And I would love to ask, what does living a sexy life mean to you? Mm. Wow, what a question. Um, sexy, living a sexy life to me, oh my gosh, in so many ways. But I think the things that make me feel like I'm living a sexy life is when I am... Um, in pleasure in my life and pleasure for me is um scented candles when i'm working um it's flowers in the house that i can see it's letting me know that me is worthy of pleasurable things and it's dancing like dancing for me makes me feel alive in my body and as someone who's had kind of a lifetime of um, like body image hang-ups and, and, um, and, and all of those things, when I take off my clothes and I dance in the mirror and I choose to celebrate the curve of my hips or the way I circle when I dance or the shake of my ass, it makes me literally transform the way I see me. And that for me is sexy because that's when I see myself as the most sexy version of me. Oh, beautiful. A whole load of gorgeous things right there. Mm. <laughs> and where can listeners find you online? Oh, well, I hang about on Facebook <laughs> in my um, in my group. It's called uh, the Sister Circle in a Temple. So I think if you were to search via Sister circle in the temple you'd find us there's a beautiful community of women on there and i'm also on instagram at sister circle temple and kate also has a little offer which is that she has uh, does a free 30 minute discovery call mm -hmm. so if you're interested in working with kate reach out to her she works with women and couples and i will put all the links in the show notes um, to kate's groups and insta as well so that you can find her there so thank you so thank much you. it's been a delight and a joy mm. and um yeah thank you for sharing your beauty and your wisdom today lots thank of love thank you sarah <laughs> and i wish you so much love with this juicy amazing podcast thank you for listening to the love sex and intimacy podcast with me sarah rose bright I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sararosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one -one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. 
wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day. 